And as we continue to celebrate that Jesus is risen, and as we seek to live with hope, grace, and love, I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. The Gospel of John is the fourth Gospel. You'll find it in the New Testament. As soon as you get into Acts, Romans, or 1 Corinthians, you're into the the letters, so go back to John chapter 21. Last week, Pastor Audrey preached the beginning of John 21, which is the miraculous catch of fish. When Jesus rose again, he appeared to his disciples, he appeared to Thomas, and then they went fishing, and Jesus met them both on the lake and had breakfast with them on the beach. But it's still in this same episode where we come to the reinstatement of Peter. And that's what we're going to focus on today with John 21, verses 15 through 19. And as Pastor Audrey mentioned yesterday, last week, part of Peter's motivation of of, of jumping out of the boat and getting to shore as fast as possible is from that moment that Peter denied Jesus three times just as Jesus said he would. Peter has not had a chance to reconcile with Jesus, to come to him and say, I'm sorry. And so now we have just a moment with just Jesus and just Peter after the breakfast on the beach and the miraculous catch of fish. It will take an act of God to bring Peter from the point of denial and from the shame that he had around that to the book of Acts, where, where Peter preaches the sermon at Pentecost, when the, the church um, in Jerusalem is essentially born on that act of the Holy Spirit. We trust that that was an act of God, and also that it takes an act of God to illumine the Word to us. And so will you join me in prayer before the reading of the Word? God, may your Word be our rule, your Holy Spirit our teacher and the glory of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven's priorities, may these be our primary concerns. As we hear these words that you spoke to Peter, may we also hear them for us as they are part of our story, as we are part of your holy body joined with your people. May we follow Peter in such a way that we learn to also follow you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, 
you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever had a moment where you have questioned your self-worth or maybe your self-esteem or your pride and dignity has been challenged or or maybe the term that I think is helpful to use, your self-efficacy, your belief in your own ability to do things was called into question. Could have been a singular event and when an event happens, we have thoughts that happen automatically, we experience feelings, but then the the conclusion that we're in the most control of, if any event, with all the thoughts and feelings that happen, what we're in the most control of is the meaning that we make of the event. You can think about um, leaving a a message for someone and, and not hearing back when you thought you would have or should have. So the event is not hearing back, and, and you start thinking, I wonder when I'm going to hear from them. I wonder if I will hear from them. You might be feeling annoyed or, or anxious or, or a little bit hurt. The meaning that you make over not getting that response could be, well, they don't want to talk to me, or they must be really busy, or something might have come up. We can make a whole host of meaning, and that's what we're in the most control of. But there are times and there are things that happen that challenge us in such a way that we doubt ourselves. We question our self-worth. And it's not so easy as to snap our fingers and make a whole new meaning. Because we, as human beings, we make meaning of events. And sometimes the events that happen and the meaning that we make will make us question our self-worth. It will challenge us. And it will wonder, what what am I worth? What am I good at? Does anyone think that I'm capable? I had such a moment not all that long ago. And it was at the auction for for the church, which went really well. But there was a moment in which I greatly questioned my self worth. And here's why what I sold at the church auction was two separate tickets for five hours of manual labor. And I left it pretty open-ended on what that could entail. Splitting, stacking firewood, mulch, gardening, moving furniture, I mean, whatever the case might be. Five hours apiece on two separate tickets, so 10 hours total. And this is not original to me. I'm taking a page out of Pastor Josh's book, my predecessor. Um, Funny story on that, he sold one of those And uh, Alex and Jen DeWitt bought it, and then Pastor Josh moved to Iowa, and we actually got the address of one of his elders, so the ticket followed him to Iowa, uh, which is still just a, we don't give up around here. But I know those tickets went over well when Pastor Josh sold them, so I thought I would do the same. And so you you calculate out, selling one ticket, that's five hours, and so Al, the auctioneer, started, I think, at 100 bucks. That's $20 an hour, you know? Um, It's for a charitable cause. And there was silence. (laughs) And in that moment, the event is the silence. The thinking is, huh, nobody's bidding on this. The feeling is curiosity, 
Perhaps a prelude to shame? Oh, here, hundred, hundred. I can't do the auctioneer thing, but if I could, it'd be something like hundred dollars. Here, hundred dollars. Nope, nope, nope. Seventy-five, seventy-five. Do I hear seventy-five? No, 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 no. Don't hear seventy-five. Oh boy, this pastor must be worthless. We're getting down to fifty dollars. Fifty dollars. <laughs> I don't see fifty. I don't see anything. Uh, nothing's happening. I'm starting to get a little worried about this. My internal dialogue is going that fast as well. Pretty sure I'm worthless. We're getting pretty low here. I think I'm uh, five dollars an hour. Boy, oh boy. Uh, made more than that in the hardware store. Um, And then it just got quiet. You know how weird it is when things get quiet at an auction? Like part of the the whole psychological setting of an auction is that fast-paced wording. And then as I'm sitting, getting a little bit more like, I want to disappear, I see from the front corner Larry Van Ree raising up his auction number. And I think, yes! He raises his auction number and yells, $5. Okay, that's a dollar an hour. Worst of all, it's Larry, so it's like, he's a plumber. I'm going to be elbows deep in you-know-what for a dollar an hour. That's not good for me. That's not good for the church. In that moment, the meaning that could be made is, I am worthless. I mean, a dollar an hour, but still pretty close. People don't believe in my ability to do things. I'm not valued. What am I really good for? The event leads to all the thoughts and feelings, but the meaning that we make out of this. And, you know, sometimes the meaning that we make is somewhere that I actually think the devil likes to be at work, of whispering into your ear that you're not useful, you're not worth all that much, you can't help, you can't make a difference. And I'm someone who's cautious about over-ascribing things to the devil, because I think, and, and C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters picks up on this, in, in which <clears throat> Wormwood and Screwtape have this exchange of letters, and what C.S. Lewis tries to capture is throughout different times in church history, there are times where we over-ascribe everything to the devil, to the point where it is written in the screw tape letters, one of your best tactics can be to make him overestimate our power so that he no longer thinks about what the enemy, being God, is in control of, but only pays attention to what we are in control of. We can over-ascribe and turn everything into a spiritual battle. That's one pitfall where we, you know, we stub our toe on a rock and we think that the devil is out to get us. But there's also a separate side of this where we can pretend that there's nothing working against us whatsoever. And that's the other side that C.S. Lewis picks up on, in which he says, at that point, you have convinced your patient. You have convinced your patient, meaning us. These are a couple of demons talking. You have convinced your patient that we do not exist, and you can work on them without resistance. Sometimes it does seem like there is something working against us. And the meaning that we can make in those moments is where we are sometimes the most vulnerable. Now, I do want to tell you, at the auction, there was something working against me. And I'm just going to briefly compare Larry Van Ree to the devil. (laughs) And that should make you uncomfortable. Um, And Larry also agreed to this already. He knew this was coming. 
Larry told a whole bunch of people before the auction started to not bid on my tickets. <laughs> and so when it starts going up for bid, everyone was just listening to what he told them to do. And so it went down, 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 until he broke the silence, and then um, I, I did make, you know, we did make a, a little bit of a profit off of that, and I look forward to doing the work. But there was something working against me, something I couldn't see, but, but whispers into other people's ears had spread around. And the amount of people that came up to me afterwards and said, yeah, we were feeling a little bad, but Larry told us not to bid on it. <laughs> And this, of course, is a lighthearted example. But to think that there are times where what you are hearing and the events that you're making the most meaning of, the things that you can't shake, the things that you can't put out of your mind, are that in which those make you feel like a failure. And you go back. And in those moments that I don't think are the most clear, they're not the most directly linked with paying attention to God, in those moments... You go back and you are harder on yourself in your past than what you were at the time of those events. Using Peter as an example, because I think Peter is still feeling right down here. Peter has denied Jesus three times. He has been waiting to reconcile with Jesus. And that's also why Jesus asks him three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The three denials that Jesus had are met with three affirmations of, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The significance of those is not meant to be lost on us. This is Peter's reinstatement, but up until this point, Peter probably can't shake that night where he denied Jesus three times, and then he's probably looking back over other times where he, where he tried hard and it didn't go well, thinking about that moment where Peter stepped out of the boat but ended up going into the water anyway. That time at the Last Supper where he said, well, well, Lord, don't wash my feet. Oh, well, if you have to, then wash my whole body. Oh, that sounded so dumb. Do you ever kick yourself for something you said that, that just sounded so dumb later and you just wish you could go back and say it the way you thought about it three times at night when you were falling asleep? Do you think Peter went back through his mind and thought about the transfiguration when he didn't know what to do or say, so he just kind of started talking? I think Peter went back through all of those times where he didn't quite get it right and thought, I'm just a failure. What have I ever gotten right? I think that the devil works against us in those moments. And that's why in 1 Peter 5.8, Peter, in his epistle, writes, The devil, your adversary, prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. And I wonder if where we get devoured is where we get caught is the events that we choose to make the most meaning of and we think about our whole lives in line of those events, in line of our failures, of when we said something dumb, of when we didn't do what we know we should have and we blew it. We said something that we regretted. All of those can be where we get consumed. And we might look back and even some of our greatest successes seem to be lost in translation. We get caught worrying about the failures. Maybe it's hearing no on a promotion or a job that makes us question, is this what we're supposed to be doing? Maybe it's getting rejected by a friend. And then we start to think that we're not worthy of friendship. Friendship. 
Maybe it might be a hurt word that we either want or can't apologize for. Peter is getting consumed by this. And finally then, when he has this moment where, where I think he's been being worked on and, and it's stuck in this spot, he finally gets this moment with Jesus. And, and even then, Peter is hurt, Scripture tells us, because Jesus asks him three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? As if he wasn't affirmed enough in saying, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. In that moment, it's like Peter would forget the time when Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. I think Peter's feeling more like a pebble right now. Peter is hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So far, Jesus has been pretty close to the script in saying, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. You might know that there's a progression if he uses a different Greek word in the third one of, do you love me? And there's something to the words, but, um, but sometimes we, make, we try to make a bigger deal out of that than some of the distinctions that are there. But it's in Jesus' full response to Peter In telling him what will happen next, very truly I tell you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, knowing that Peter just jumped out of a boat to run to Jesus. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go, indicating the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God, which we know from tradition and history was crucifixion. Because Jesus... Jesus was the one who Peter wished to follow. And Peter followed Jesus to his death. And in verse 19, after Peter cannot seem to answer the question well enough, where he's saying, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. You know all things you know that I love you. In verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, he said to Peter, follow me. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Follow me, is the close of this conversation. And and, and why does this matter as Peter's looking back maybe over his whole time, his whole three years of being with Jesus? Because when Jesus was first having his disciples follow him, what did Peter do? He followed Jesus. Peter got it right from the very beginning, in following Jesus. He messed up along the way. He said some dumb things along the way. He didn't always get it. But Jesus, when he asked for disciples to follow him, Peter followed Jesus at great personal cost. As if for all of the things that Peter could make meaning of, of all the mistakes that he could be dwelling on, and all of the failures that he could be getting stuck and hung up on, What Jesus is bringing him back to is to say, you have done the right thing from the beginning in following me. From the very time you first saw me, you got it right in following me. And in fact, Jesus is is foreshadowing the type of death that Peter will have because Peter will continue to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that Peter's always going to get it right. 
or he's always going to have the best words to say, but Peter will continue to follow Jesus. And Jesus, at the end of John 21, is reminding Peter, you did follow me. You have followed me. You will follow me. For us, we want to be good Christians. We want to be good people, and we don't always get it right. We don't always feel perfectly equipped, and we won't. But we would not make mistakes being Christians if we hadn't followed Jesus in the first place. We would not have made mistakes in following Jesus if we hadn't followed Jesus in the first place. Follow me, says Jesus. And where will this take him? It'll take him to crucifixion. It'll take him before the Sanhedrin, just as Jesus went before the Sanhedrin. But follow me. How do you feed Jesus' sheep? How do you feed the lambs? How do you take care of them? By following me, says Jesus. How do we know what God wants for us? How do we know the right decisions to make? By following me. The answer might not be as specific as what we want it. And that's part of the point, is it's a reminder of a faithful following of Jesus that we will continue to do our best and that we got it right in following Jesus in the first place. And for all of the times where we messed up or got it wrong, we're being brought back in this episode between Peter and Jesus to the very beginning. When Peter followed Jesus, follow me. And where will that bring him? It'll bring him to some unfamiliar places. It'll bring him in Acts chapter 10 to the house of Cornelius, that by following Jesus, by being obedient, Peter, a righteous Jew, will go to the house of a Gentile. People that he wouldn't go into the house of or eat their food, and he'll go there. Peter will continue to follow Jesus. So friends, we will also continue to follow Jesus. We won't always get it right. We won't always have all the right words. But Jesus will continue to ask, do you love me? And we might want to respond and and even try to prove, you know that I love you because I did this and that and the other. You know that I love you. But the conclusion of the whole conversation is, follow me. Follow me. That's going to look different at different times in our life. That's going to have some great successes and some pretty ugly failures along the way. But that brings us all the way back to the beginning of those moments where we decide what makes the most meaning. What's the lens through which we assess all of our lives? Do we make all the meaning based on the failures and the conflict and the errors? Or do we choose to make the meaning and find our worth not in how much our auction tickets went for, but in knowing that we, just like Peter, can be used by God, that the ultimate meaning that we make is in following Jesus, and that we are created in the image of God, that that as just being alive, we have intrinsic worth and value and an ability to follow Jesus just as Peter followed Jesus. Where do you want to follow Jesus this week? Probably not always to comfortable places. At that point, we're following ourselves. 
That's what led Peter to deny Jesus in the first place. Do we follow Jesus to reconciling? Do we follow Jesus to offering and receiving apologies? Do we follow Jesus in, in, in putting ourselves out there one more time? Do we follow Jesus in being called aside to rest, to rest near the good shepherd when we need a break? Do we follow Jesus to the house of Cornelius, even to our own cross? It was pointed out to me yesterday by someone older and wiser, probably the best evidence in the entire book of Acts that Peter had followed Jesus. And it's in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John have, have healed a man, um, and they're before the Sanhedrin answering for it. This is the man who um, couldn't walk. He was asking for alms, and he got legs. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when they're before the Sanhedrin, just as Jesus was before the Sanhedrin, before he was crucified, Scripture says this, when they, the Sanhedrin, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. Where's your worth? Where's your value? Where's your self-efficacy and your ability to do things? It's in that two-word response and command and invitation. Follow me. These men had been with Jesus. Follow me. Spend time with Jesus and let your worth be found there. Simon, son of John, North Holland Reformed Church, do you love me, asks Jesus? Take care of my sheep and know from the beginning to the end you got it most right by, by answering yes to the question and the response. Follow me. Let's pray. Jesus, when we hear those words, follow me, it can still fill us with wonder of if we are equipped and prepared to or not. Yet help us to rest in this, that if we're asking that question, we've already said, yes, I love you, Lord, and yes, I will follow you. So in all that we say and think and do, help us to follow you, to follow you in faithfulness and in love. Lord, send us out this week, but don't send us out on our own like sheep without a shepherd, but send us out with you, the good shepherd, leading us in the power of your Holy Spirit to follow you wherever we go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.